Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. Remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our guest is Katie Gorka. She serves as the Director for Civil Society and American Dialogue with the Heritage Foundation. She spent was part of the 2016 Trump transition team and also served as a senior advisor in the Office of Policy at the Department of Homeland Security from 2017 and 19. And today we're going to be talking about a series of articles on the importance of the family and the family standing up. So, Katie, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Jeff, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. So you kind of you kind of look at the world, you see what's going on in the United States, and you really focus on that important, the, the foundational issue of family. What was what what finally was like, you know what, I got to start talking about this and writing about this because people need to get moving. Well, I think it's been on my mind for a long time anyway, but um, I really felt galvanized by the book um, that just came out called Endgame, The Church's Strategic Move to Save Faith and Family in America. So this was written by John Van Epp and J.P. DeGantz. And it just really struck a chord for me when I discovered this book. And I'll tell you what was one of the most instructive and just profound things for me is that they document the fact that there's been virtually a parallel decline in the family and in church attendance since 1960. So what they're saying is, as the family goes, so goes the church. And this really hit a chord for me. I was born in 1960. In 1970, my parents separated and divorced, and in 1975, when I turned 15, I announced to my mother that I was no longer going to go to church, Um, and I spent the next 15 years or so as a pretty committed atheist, And, and I think I really suffered because of that. Now, thank goodness... God did not give up on me. Um, he, he, he reached into my heart. He brought me back. Um, and I have to say, you know, starting about the age 30, I, I became, um, you know, really a, a devoted and committed Christian. I joined the Catholic Church. Um, so it all worked out in the end, but it just really struck a chord for me when I read in this book um, that relationship between the decline of the family and the decline of the church. And the argument that they make, which is so important, is that churches, for some reason, have not really stepped up into the space of healing or strengthening the family and marriages. Um, They talk specifically about the tremendous investment that churches make in youth ministry, and they estimate it at between four and six billion dollars in this country, which is huge. Um, but if you're talking about youth who are in broken homes or who are getting the message from everywhere else in the culture that marriage doesn't matter or marriage can be what you want or, you know, whatever, then all that effort in youth ministry really doesn't do a whole lot of good. And what they're saying is that churches need to refocus churches need to step up and and provide help to couples especially to keep their relationships strong and to carry out to be a model for their children and in the culture for the importance of the family well and for people who are listening uh the article that i first read was was not the first one but 
healing the family and saving the country where you get into the importance of faith. And, you know, when the faith communities kind of drop the ball, uh, we see what happens in our world. And it's interesting, the other side, the evil one really gets it, right? If we do, if he can destroy the family, then everything else crumbles. We're a little slow on the uptake, but I think, you know, you bringing it to people's attention, but you also talk about your other articles, solving the civic crisis begins at home, right? We're, we're supposed to be the main teachers and then the great, you know, parent revolt. Parents are finally, and families are starting to finally wake up to, look, there've been attacks on a family for a long time. They've tried to do this by, you know, re-educating our kids and not telling them, telling us what they're teaching them. Right. We have 2015, the Supreme Court, you know, basically say marriage is whatever with Oberfeld versus Hodges saying same sex marriage, so-called, is an equivalent. All these things are really starting to pile up and we have some ground to make up, don't we? We do. But I think, you know, the, the, the point of my article, particularly the one, uh, the Great Parent Revolt, is that I think there's a lot, a lot of cause for hope. Um you know, I think about the way we raised our children, my husband and I. So our kids are now 22 and 24. And, and honestly, I think we made a mistake that I think a lot of people made, which is we just assumed that for our kids, school was kind of the same as what we had when we were kids, that it was, you know, fundamentally wholesome and solid and reliable and patriotic and, you know, all all good things. And I think the the corrosion of education has been going on for a long time. I certainly saw signs of it when my kids were in school um, and it's, it's just exploded. And, you know, we all talk about the fact that the blessing of COVID was that parents got to see what their kids were learning. Um, but I think there's been another aspect of the great COVID crisis, which is that I, I think in the end, it has brought parents and children closer together. Um, parents, you know, everybody'd been on this super busy track and COVID forced us to slow down. No doubt it was challenging and difficult for a lot of people. Um, I know for, for our son who was, you know, stuck at home from college, you know, he really struggled with the, the isolation. And I think a lot of people did, but I think there was a blessing in there, which is it brought parents and kids closer together. And you see parents now just fighting so fiercely for their children and for their children's education. At the same time, I mean, it's, it's kind of crazy that this has happened. I mean, now that parents have greater scrutiny, but at the same time, I feel like the, the, the progressive, the, let's just say the progressives have been become even more emboldened about what they are bringing into schools and fighting for in schools. I mean, I don't know if you heard the, you know, Virginia, the county I'm in, Fairfax County, the one next to me, Loudoun County, have been, you know, very much at the forefront of the fight. But, for example, one of the ones that was really shocking recently was one of the moms was in her, one of the Fairfax County high schools and happened upon a particular book. And I'm telling you, I looked at the book. It is, it is. It is straight pornography, and I, I am not a particularly fusty person. Like, I am not overreacting here when I tell you this was pornography. And the even extraordinary thing is the librarian called her up. So she, she made it onto national news, I think, talking about this particular book. And the librarian mm -hmm. called her up a few days later 
this woman thought that the librarian was calling to tell her uh, that the book had been removed. But no, the librarian was calling to tell her that the mom had no right to be in the library and that the school rules said this woman could not come into the library, which, of course, the mom proved to be not the case. But this is what I'm saying. There's there's like this uh, brazen attitude of, of some of the teachers, and I certainly don't mean to, I'm not disparaging all teachers by any means, um, but it just seems like some of our teachers and administrators and school board members have become so arrogant about their role and feel that, that they can supersede the role of the parents. And so we are seeing just tremendous pushback. You know, obviously the, the, the great election in Virginia, which brought in Republicans to the top three spots in a state that we thought was lost. But not just that, we saw incredible wins in school boards across the country. And I know that the left tries to paint this as a, a quote, astroturf movement, but I'm telling you, I, I work with a lot of the moms. I work with a lot of these groups that are on the ground. They are so diverse and they are so local and these things are, are popping up spontaneously. There's no national organization. This is rising up from, from below because parents recognize that education has gone in a bad direction and they need to step up and reinsert themselves. Well, and, you know, they lie about critical race theory. Oh, it's not being taught in schools when the teachers come out and say, oh, yes, it is. Right. And then, you know, you have the, the federal government getting involved where the attorney general Garland, you know, starts trying to tell parents, you know, they're basically domestic terrorists if they stand up in school board meetings. You know, you can do a lot of things, but mess with the parents' kids. And that's really going to get their ire, isn't it? Yeah, no, I, I, I think you're absolutely right. And I, I think that the, the left has really overstepped. And I think you're just going to see, I mean, I, I really think it's almost like a great awakening, um, what we're going through now. And I will say, I think it's, I think it's overdue. Um, but I'm grateful that it's happening. And I think it touches on many elements. I think it's, it's parents getting reinvolved in education. I think it's, people understanding anew the importance of the family, the two-parent family. Um, but I think there's also a faith element and a values element. Um, I think that, that people are recognizing that this purely secular approach to education doesn't necessarily work um, because, in fact, it's you know, to call it secular is not to call it values free. It's not free of a set of beliefs. It's just belief in something that doesn't jive with what we believe in. Um, and so I think, you know, we've seen enrollment at Christian schools just skyrocket. We've seen uh, the transition, people pulling their kids out of school and homeschooling um, has just grown exponentially. We're seeing uh, charter schools, new efforts to create charter schools across the country. We're seeing now micro schools and schooling pods because people are not happy with the value. It's not just the content of the education and this ridiculous critical race theory or the diversity, equity, inclusion piece, but it's the values. It's the values more broadly. They want their children raised with a certain set of values and they see that their kids are not getting that in the public school system. 
Well, and to your point, not only in the schools, but when you take faith out of the family, you take faith out of the schools, when you take faith out of our everyday lives, then things don't make sense, right? We see the things that are going on and where do you turn if you don't have that truth, right? We know Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. When you start watering down the truth, drinking the Kool-Aid, you become so lost, you don't even know where to turn. So that faith component is the glue that holds everything together. And when we get rid of the glue, we kind of see what happens, I think, to your point. I think you're absolutely right. And I, I, I personally, I think there's a direct correlation between the dramatic rise in teen suicides and teen dis- depression, anxiety, all these things with the loss of meaning uh, that has resulted from the decline in faith. Well, and you mentioned in, in the article, Healing the Family and Saving the Country, which, by the way, if you go on the Heritage Foundation website, you can see all your articles. Uh, but you mentioned, right, the loneliness, the epidemic scale, right, of generational loneliness and how, you know, isolation, because that's what the evil one wants to do, right? He wants to isolate us so he can kind of work on us. When we're together in community, we're much stronger. Yes, and that, that was a very important point that, that the authors, um, J.P. DeGance and John Van Epp, make in their book, Endgame, because they don't, I mean, so they, they draw the parallel between the decline of the family and the decline of the church, but they're not arguing that the church need to, needs to step in and support marriage and families just out of self-interest, that there's a pastoral uh, imperative that because there is such an epidemic of, of loneliness and despair, our churches owe it to us to engage in this and, and to help people through this. And I mean, the other thing is, is how important the church has become as a counter message to everything that the culture is telling our children. I mean, it really concerns me when I see what's on television, you know, when I see what's in the movies, when you think about the fact that our kids, you ever notice the fact that on your phone, if you have a um, an iPhone, you mm-hmm. automatically get the Apple News headlines. Well, they are so skewed to the left. Um, and, and this is what our kids are surrounded with. There's almost nowhere are they getting the healthy counter message but they are getting it from the family, from their own family, and they're getting it from the church, which is why I think the role of the church has become even more important. Yeah, I mean, indoctrination has been going on, whether it's K through 12, higher education, we see it on a, on a regular basis. I think the reminder to everyone, so not only in the faith component, but, but especially in the faith component, when we have our kids baptized, we as parents, and if you're a godparent, you promise to be the primary teacher for these kids. And so to abdicate that really creates that environment where the indoctrination can take place. But if you're eating meals together, you're talking together as a family, you can kind of sift through it and bring, you know, some kind of coherence to what's going on so people can see things objectively. Right. And I, you know, I have to say, because I think these two things go hand in hand. I think it's both the faith element that's so important to bring in an active way into the family conversation, but I think it's equally important to, to bring in the principles of the American founding. Why, why did we create this country? Why do we believe that religious freedom is so important? Freedom of speech is so important. 
Um, because that's that's the other piece that has really suffered. It's not just the attack on the church that we've been seeing and the attack on the family, but it's also the attack on our country. Um, we have such a great country, and yes, we have an imperfect past, and I don't believe we should shy away from from talking about our flaws and our faults and, and openly acknowledging that we can do better. Um, but the aspirations set out by our founders are just, there's nothing out there equivalent that can replace that. It's so great, and yet so many kids are being taught something completely different about this country. And, and, and that's really troubling. I mean, I'll just mention, you know, we've talked about critical race theory, which is about the most racist thing out there. Um, but, you know, a lot of this kind of started with uh, the 1619 Project, that, that special publication of the New York Times Magazine back in August of 2019 by Nicole Hannah-Jones, where she tries to, to, to argue that America was founded on racism. She argues that the whole, she tries to say that the American Revolution was fought in order to preserve slavery, which is just patently untrue. And now, next week, she has a new edition of, six, of her 1619 publication coming out, a 600-something page book. Uh, Hulu is working on a 1619 series. I mean, this is, again, this attack on the country, this attack on Americans um, is being forced on us. And I think we need to be able to stand up and push back. Well, it really is, right? It's a revisionist history to try to make us look all inherently racist. And yeah, look, you can always look back on time through current lenses and see all the flaws. Imagine 100 years from now, people looking back on us, right? We're pushing gender ideology. Everybody who white is everybody who's white is racist, right? We kill millions of people in abortion. Yet we feel so superior that we can go back and say everything in the past was terrible. And let us tell you in a revisionist way how bad it was without bringing up any of the good. And there is a lot of good to your point. Yeah, and I think that the fact that we're constantly working at it to be better. Um, but but we're not equ- we're not equipped to make these arguments. I think that's what worries me. And the, the problem is, um, I mean, first of all, you know, the way we treat this subject, most of us is, we get civics in grade school and in high school, um, and then we don't really pay a whole lot of attention to it. I mean, I think we do our best to understand how our government works and how elections work, but I, I don't know. Most of us don't really sort of delve into the Federalist Papers. You know, <laughs> um, you know, how many of us actually go back and reread the Constitution or you know reread Lincoln's speeches? Um, and and I think we have to. You know, our the the principles of the American founding are being called into question right now. And I think if we, for those who still believe that America offers the greatest hope for opportunity and freedom around the world, as I believe, then we, all of us, I think, have a responsibility to educate ourselves, to be articulate, to be able to defend the country and defend the ideas against these false uh, narratives like the 1619 project 
And I think well, it's particularly tricky because nobody wants to be accused of being racist, right? It's very tough to, to argue against the 1619 Project. But the, but the bottom line is it's factually incorrect. It is not factual history. And if, if people make the effort to understand that, then they can argue against it with confidence. Well, and they can go back further than that, right? You have the Frankfurt School with this, you know, Marx and Engel, you know, their philosophy. But really what we're seeing is cultural Marxism, right? It's, it's dividing and conquering, whether it's, it's not so much on an economic basis now, although somewhat, but it's more on a cultural you know, let's let's divide and conquer. And I think to be able to speak to what's going on, we have to know the roots of where these people are coming from. And really, their end goal is to divide and conquer and create this vacuum where they can kind of take over. Right. We see that in community organizing. Right. It's always picking an enemy. We need to be above that and to see that and be able to articulate it, because it is if we can't defend history and the importance of it and the true history. And where evil is trying to seep in, then we are really, you know, are helpless if we don't educate ourselves. Yes, you're so right. And, you know, you know, the other reason stuff like critical race theory and the 1619 Project make me so mad is because what they're trying to say is that um, the, the, the country is fundamentally flawed, that white people are fundamentally racist, black people are fundamentally victims. And this is just so untrue. There are so many instances where Americans have come together across lines of race, ethnicity, class, wealth, everything to solve common problems, to take care of each other, to step up in a crisis. That's what we do as Americans. And we cannot let that American spirit be destroyed by these other narratives. Well, and if we are such a rotten place, why does everybody want to come? I mean, if we were that racist, you would think people would be fleeing. And the other thing, we, you know, we don't we just let anybody in now, but everybody wants to come here because they see things as as it really is. And we're the ones trying to create this false narrative that's not even true. Yeah, and it's why I think, um, you know, actually some of the best fighters for the American idea are the first generation immigrants, because they know what they left behind. Um, They're just some terrific voices now who are here from, from China, from Cuba, from Venezuela. They know what happens when you let all the power reside in the government and you let the government take power away from the people. And I think they would rather die than see that happen here. Well, and rightfully so, because they know, right? Just start reading some of the works of, you know, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, right? I mean, what happened in Russia and what can happen again, right? We used to think that could never happen here. You know, what happened in Nazi Germany could never happen here. But people who have lived there and lived in communism say, hey, this is how it all started where we were. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think what's what's really germane to this argument as well is the whole conversation about the vaccine mandates. Um, you know, it's interesting because the Heritage Foundation just a couple of days ago came out and made a very strong statement against the vaccine mandates, against the vaccine mandates. Um, and it's not because anybody is against vaccines. Um, that is a personal choice. But what what Heritage is concerned about, I think what we should all be concerned about is 
when the government takes this kind of control over our personal lives, over our bodies, over our businesses, that's a really bad direction for our country to be going in. And I, I just hope that people will stand up and, and defend the ability of individuals to make this decision for themselves. Yeah, I mean, in the end, if somebody wants a shot, get the shot. Force people to do it makes no sense. And, I mean, when you look at what's going on, they're trying to bribe you to take it. Now they're trying to force you to take it. It just, you know, if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's usually a duck. And when you see that kind of stuff going on, you're, everybody's radar should go up. Yes. And, and, and I think it is. Um, <clears throat> it's really interesting to see, um, you know, n not only are we seeing this wave of pushback among parents to overreach by school administrators and school boards and teachers unions, uh, but you're saying the same thing now with regard to the vaccine mandates. Um, so that, again, I think it's all part of this incredible thing that's happening in our country where People are kind of rediscovering how truly fragile freedom is, how truly precious it is, and that each one of us has a role to play in, in fighting for it and defending it. You know, I think for, my, for myself, for somebody my age, for anybody who's now like in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, we could kind of let American freedom run on autopilot honestly, for most of our lives. Like, I, I don't think in any way, for most of my life, was I indispensable to maintaining freedom in this country because it seemed safe to me. Mm. I don't feel that way. I feel like if I'm not out there fighting every day and doing everything I can and supporting others who are fighting and taking risks, I, I truly believe we risk losing the wonderful things we have in this country. I, I think our freedom can be lost. Oh, I don't disagree with you. I mean, you know, people that lived in the Roman Empire thought, oh, this could never collapse. But, you know, living immorally, you know, and, and allowing evil and lies to take effect, we've seen what happens over history. Nothing lasts forever. And it's because we continue to fall into that trap. You know, sometimes you look at the Israelites and you think, how could they be so stupid? Look, look at all the things they had. Yet we do the same things over and over again. Now, we're down to about the last 30 seconds or so. I mean, I can't believe it went this fast, but how can people follow what you're doing and follow what's going on at the Heritage Foundation? Yeah, so Heritage is really in the fight, and we always have great resources. So just go on to the Heritage Foundation. You can follow. My articles are all there. Um, I tend to be most active on Facebook, so I'm at Catherine Gorka um, on Facebook. People can follow me there. And I just encourage everybody who's in the fight to keep doing what you're doing. We all have a role to play. Respect Life Radio is produced by Catholic Charities in the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com.